0: Hey welcome to the Gig Life Podcast, I'm your host Stevie Taylor, this is episode 94, it's Joel Burton, here we go. Today is bass player Joel Burton, born in Sydney, raised in the far north coast of New South Wales. Joel's first instrument was trumpet before moving to bass guitar at the age of 14. After studying for a Bachelor of Music, Joel moved back down to Sydney. There he worked in music shops, managed a specialty bass store, gigged and gigged, turned pro and hasn't looked back since. Joel plays in the Rayman 3, the Lockie Dolly Group, plays tons of corporate and pub gigs with different groups has his own original project with his friends called Tenderfoot and he recently finished up Season 9 of The Voice as a member of the incredibly talented house band. Joel's a very laid-back and humble cat and with him it's all about those supporting bass lines, the pocket, the space and knowing when it's your turn to shine. Clearly this makes Joel one of the most in-demand bass players around. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up. Joel Burton. I think we're rolling. Mr. Joel Burton, how do you do, sir? Bro, how are you? I'm good, man. Welcome to the Good Life Podcast. Man, thanks for having me. Sweet. We were supposed to be in my studio today. We had it all teed up, but my youngest daughter woke up with a cough this morning, so we um, um, thought it best that we take her to get the... COVID test done, which we did today. Um and um what's especially um what I was <laughs> particularly concerned about was if you came and you got sick and, and your wife's pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's um we thought we'd yeah. do the right thing here. But here, man, here we are on the interwebs.
1: <laughs> here we
0: are <laughs> doing it. Um now what I've been starting with the last little while is just um asking how how covid has been for you and um um what you had sort of coming up and what sort of happened during covid um, if you could talk a little bit about that and then we'll sort of we'll roll back to your early days and lead up yeah, to your cool. career and that kind of thing
2: yeah easy um in terms of what i kind of had i mean we started we started working for the voice um in, in January we kind of started we kind of got together for the first time. So that kind of that rolled into, I guess, when all this kind of started getting pretty heavy. Um but then we kind of had a, a there was like a, a production break that was planned, which was about three and a half months. So basically we kind of got to a point where everything had kind of come to a stop and that was only kind of two weeks like two weeks before we were due to kind of have a break, anyway. Right. Um. So that was, I guess, that was kind of lucky that we got most of that in, and we ended up going back to to. They figured out how to how to pr- proceed with the show. Yeah. So we went back two weeks earlier, a, f- a few months later in um in July, I think it was. Mm. Um. But yeah, in in that break, I actually had some like some overseas stuff planned, some touring, uh, and that kind of. That, yeah, that obviously didn't happen. Mm. Um, as well as just a heap of, heap of <laughs> gigs around town that yeah. just yeah. one by one disappeared.
0: Yeah, are they are they starting to come back? Sort of because there are some bands out, out playing a little bit now. Smaller bands, yeah. I suppose. Is it? Is it? Are you getting on any of that stuff?
2: Uh, I mean, I'd, I actually I, I played a wedding gig on Saturday, mm-hmm. um, which was funny because no one was allowed to dance. Like everyone had to stay in their seats. <laughs> um, so how, so yeah. how does how does the repertoire go then? <laughs> how do you sit down and write that <laughs> well, set list up? <laughs> well, they wanted all the same stuff, and just yeah, they they wanted us to do exactly what we would have normally done, right? But not have a dance floor, so it was a little bit weird. But it was just really nice to kind of get together and play, um, yeah, just to just to see some mates and and kind of do that. As far as other stuff, there's been. There's been a few kind of a few little things. It's it's I haven't really done any other any other gigs like at, at bars or anything like that. Done a couple of live streaming things. We mm-hmm. did a thing with um with Lockie where we kind of got in in there and streamed a couple of sets, which mm-hmm. was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was with, so that was that was without Jackie because Jackie's stuck in Queensland, eh. Hey? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so he, mm. he couldn't even get down. So yeah. um, Evan Minnell, mm-hmm. who's a, a monstrous drummer yeah. in his own right, yeah. um, s- s- like sat in with us and and obviously smashed it because he's such a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, even even just kind of the fact that Jackie wasn't allowed <laughs> to come to Sydney to <laughs> yeah. even do it—it's it's funny. Yeah, it no, is. it's not funny. It's horrible. Yeah, I
0: know. What, I know what you mean by funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just um, the strange world we're living in right now, eh? Um, strange. Yeah, and and sort of starting to kick off again a little bit in New Zealand. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about COVID a bit later. But you know, I, yeah, I, cool. I think everybody's maybe a bit fed up talking about <laughs> about. <laughs>
2: <this>. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's been like you say. It's been so such a strange strange time. The thing that I've kind of tried to tried to do is is just keep in mind that probably won't ever have a break like this yep like again Mm -hmm. so I I, I guess trying to make the most of it and actually get some solid practice in or just do some other stuff and um yeah I guess trying to see see a little bit of an upside in the in the in the break Mm because like I I know that I mean since I finished uni I haven't Not had a gig.
0: (laughs) Right. I was going to ask how far it it kind of of, went, it kind of went back that, that, you know, last time you had a break or or when did it all sort of, sort of start for you, you know, with, with gig wise? Um, but sounds like you've been pretty full on.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like, I I think I first started doing some, I would have been like, I would have just turned like 18 or maybe I was in year 12 or something like that. And I I do it in a local music shop got me to fill in for a covers band um, and he couldn't do the gig. So I learned all these songs and ended up going out to this <laughs> this pub, far yep. north, north New South Wales and yep. doing this gig. And it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty fun. I don't really remember that much about it, but even, even when I was at uni, like there was kind of always, there's kind of always stuff. Like if you, if you, if you weren't out actually gigging in, in bars and you were harassing and playing with mates and all that mm. kind of stuff. So mm. It's, um, it's definitely definitely pretty strange mm. we'll talk a little bit more about the uni stuff when we sort of get up to that um,
0: yeah. yeah yeah cool all right um well okay well let's look a little bit forward to now um, have you got sort of uh, gigs and potential tours kind of kind of sitting there on the knife edge at the moment
2: yeah I mean like there's there's plenty of gigs in the book yeah like whether whether or not they happen is is another thing. Like my attitude is kind of like up I believe that it's going ahead when I'm standing on the stage. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. That's cool. Just because everything's so changeable at the moment. Yep. Um Yeah, it's it's just a, a matter of like we'll just kind of see what happens. Mm. There's not really there's not really much I guess any of us can do right now mm. in, in terms of trying to make things push things forward because there's so much stuff that's out of our control. So mm. tr- like worrying about things that are not able to be influenced by, by I, either myself or something I, I try not to do. Mm. Um, yeah. In so regard- yeah, I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah. In regards to um, how the government's kind of helping out musicians and stuff, I know you're, you're one of the administrators on one of the Facebook musician, Facebook groups that we've got at the moment um, yeah um so you kind of got your nose to the ground a little bit on what's going on so do you think or do you think there's more coming from the government
2: um it's kind of hard to say mm. i mean in terms of in terms of what i know i only, I only know as much as as the government releases on their yeah. on their websites yeah yep it's all it's it's I don't I don't really have any any kind of inside line, um, so I guess anything that I, w- I would say is just conjecture. I mean they've they've announced the JobKeeper and the JobSeeker extension thing, um, which is cool. I think. But that, it's a
0: lo- Is it not a lower rate though?
2: Yeah, well that's it. It's a mm. lower rate, mm. and I mean there's there's different hoops that people are going to need to to jump through to qualify. I haven't, I haven't really checked out all the the details of that mm. yet in terms of how that's going to play out. I'm, I'm not even sure that they've released all the details okay. of in terms of the requalification yet. So, I guess that'll kind of, I guess that'll come to light as as it does mm. on that particular stuff. Um, i I guess that's not really very specific to to any kind of. Any, anything specific to the arts though and there's lots of people that have fallen through the gaps, especially yeah. with the way that so many um, so many companies operate with, especially in like TV land and stuff mm-hmm. like that, they're like short-term contracts for like mm-hmm. a season of a show which might be six months. So people would have been booked for years like camera operators and, mm-hmm. and all the, the audio guys and all that kind of stuff would have had work booked for at least the next next little while because they often would have like uh you'd finish one and go straight to straight to another show mm. um but cuz all the all that stuff started getting postponed a lot of those people wouldn't qualify for job keeper because they hadn't had uh a job for 12 months with one particular company because obviously every every show is kind of seen as a, a short-term contract so there's a lot of people that kind of fell through the gaps with that Mm. Um which I would have and obviously lots of other people would have liked to have seen them included and and at least something maybe a little bit specific to our industry um that that focuses on the I guess the people that are making the music or the art instead of the organizations or the touring companies or any of that kind of stuff. Yep. Um maybe maybe a bit more of like a, a bottom up approach so kind of starting with the the people that are actually doing it like there's no music industry without musicians yeah um but it kind of seems like a lot of the the package that was announced by the government for the entertainment industry which still hasn't actually been none of the funds have been released but most of that seems to be targeted at like the bigger organizations um in the hope that that money's gonna somehow get down the ladder to, to the people that are actually making the art, but I'm, I'm dubious as to how effective that's going to be. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it'd be cool to see something a little bit more specific and, and a little bit more like a little bit more short, like it, like something in the short term that will help people because people are hurting now, like,
1: mm.
2: even if all that stuff, all that funding goes to touring companies which or or tours for for artists to be able to book tours and stuff that's not going to happen till next year yeah and there's a long there's like a lot that's a long way away in terms mm. of people living between now and then um so yeah it, it'd kind of be I'd like to see more but at the same time grateful that there's at least something because i know that there's a lot a lot of people in the world that that don't have any kind of support which is um Pretty frightening to consider as a possibility. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, just
0: going back to the voice, then, like you said, you had had that break planned, and and this kind of happened, kind of around the time that break happened. Was there yeah. talks there that they wouldn't that that they weren't going to continue? I guess uh, I'm, I'm
2: not 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 any specific conversations that I was okay. um, privy to. Like mm-hmm. we we kind of just got told what was happening in terms of look, we're, we're, we're pulling the production break forward, uh, two weeks. So, and then the general idea was always that we would go back earlier and kind of pick up where we left off and then Mm -hmm. kind of finish out the season. Mm. Um, and then it was just a matter of, I guess people like the production company and and the producers and everyone had to figure out how to actually run the show, um, with all the different restrictions and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I I kind of just always approached it that we get to, I'd get told something when there was something to be told. Um yeah, which ended up happening we found out about 3 weeks, 4 weeks before we mm. the, the first day we were back in so we could kind of start prepping for that and um and get an idea of how things are going to run and yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. That's cool. We'll we'll talk a little bit more details yeah, and yeah. stuff when we get to that. So all right man, let's Let's roll it back to how it all began. Um, uh, you were born in Sydney, but you end up you got raised up the sort of the the top of the New South Wales coast there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I was I was born in Sydney, but I I, I think by the t- I think when we my parents moved up to a place called Ballina, I would have like one or something like that. So I don't okay. remember anything about being in Sydney then.
0: Do you know why um, they do you know why they moved moved out of Sydney?
2: Yeah, it was, it was basically because they were looking at, I mean, it's similar to now, they were yeah. looking at buying a house and, and they were kind of like, look, this is already getting yep. expensive for what they were doing at the time. My dad was, my mum was not working because she. You know, I've got an older sister and an older brother she was looking after. Um, and so my dad was the only one working um, and he was a, a printer. So he, he'd kind of done his trade and, and it was a, a, a pretty solid job, but it was a matter of them kind of looking around and them going, well, we can, we can move up there and actually buy a house, um, and, and have, and have some space to raise a family instead of renting and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, they moved up there and, um, and that's as far as my childhood, that was always is that's what I remember. It's Mm. just growing up in Ballina and then Lennox Head. Music in the family. Um, Mum and dad, brother. Um, my my parents aren't don't play anything at all. Um, my older brother doesn't. My sister, my sister was kind of like she was a singer, and she was she also. We went to the the same primary school, so she was in the concert band and everything like that, which probably had a lot to do with me wanting to get involved. Um, just because you always want to do what your older siblings are doing, yeah, right. Um, Yeah, and then it was actually only until only recently that I found out that my I think my great grandmother was a like a concert pianist, right? Um, Yeah, I I found out like maybe ten years ago when I was talking to mom, and she she told me, and I was like, oh, cool, (laughs) massive. That's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially I guess I guess around that time, a lot of women weren't weren't really doing things like that. And I think ultimately that's what why why she didn't keep going with she had a family and then there was probably some expectations for her to right. unfortunately kind of put that to the side and raise a family and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um yeah, but that was interesting to find out.
0: Yeah. What kind of music was getting played around the house? What what was your mum and dad's record collection?
2: Um I don't really remember too many specific things. Like I remember, my dad always liked a lot of the West Coast, um, like the West Coast Steely Dan and um, like the Doobie Brothers and, and things like Dire Straits. I remember like Dire Straits and even like Crowded House. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of like cassette tapes in my dad's yeah. car. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And there was there was always that kind of stuff. So I guess that kind of that kind of era of stuff was definitely around. Um, and I guess being played when when I was at home and stuff like, and definitely in the car, I've got memories of that.
0: Yeah. When did it become sort of really prevalent for you? Obvious that maybe maybe this music thing might be for me, and time to learn an instrument or.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess. I guess it did in terms of it getting like and like getting to that th- that point where I'm like, maybe I actually want to do this with my life. It was probably when I was in—I oh, would have been like 14 or 15 in high school. But right. by that stage, I'd kind of already—I'd already played trumpet in primary school, and okay. and and then when I was in high school, I'd kind of—I think my sister was dating dating a guy, and he'd let her nylon string acoustic guitar and and showed her a few chords, which she showed me, and then. I heard Nirvana and just started trying to figure out how to play Nirvana some of the guitar. Right, right.
0: Um,
2: yeah, but it was, I guess, when, when I started maybe taking it a, a little bit more seriously is when I'd started playing bass, which was when I was 15 or 14 or 15. Um, and, yeah, I, I I could do it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, I kind of started getting lessons and and then it just became something that I, I just didn't really think about doing anything else and by the time what? I'd finished high school yeah why trumpet um probably i don't know i just thought it was it was like it was cool yeah cool i think every, i think all the i think all the guys in the uh, all the boys in the in the primary school either wanted to play trumpet or drums and i didn't really want to play the drums for some reason yeah um So yeah, I I, for for whatever reason I I think I I just kind of gravitated towards the trumpet. I was kind of super lucky actually, growing up in um in Ballina and and the local primary school just like the public school had this incredible band program like this concert band and stage band program, um, and they had a there was a a bandmaster whose name was Mr. Morley Mac Morley, um and he was he was always so passionate and and really kind of about getting all the kids into the band and and playing instruments and there was this other guy who was like the he was just a tutor i think he was an old ex navy guy named right. david dollery um and he just loved music he could play every single instrument in the in the concert band and he would be there at all the rehearsals and all that kind of stuff and just kind of helping people out or if there was a particular section of the band that needed some help, he'd kind of sit in with them. And then I think he um, he also, if if he saw some kids were particularly like had picked things up pretty well, he'd give like you'd stay behind at school, I think it was a Wednesday afternoon, and he'd just give you this really difficult music and teach you how to play it. Mm. Um, so me and, and a guy who like is still best friend to this day, we both played trumpet, and we both ended up staying back and, and doing all these extra lessons. Um, and it's just so fortunate that I happened to be able to just access that whole program
0: mm. um, and
2: and, le- totally. and learning
0: and learning to read early on too.
2: Yeah, totally. Although yeah. I totally yep. forgot how to how to do that by the right. time I got <laughs> to base. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I could I could. When I when I think about the music that we played in that concert band, it's 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 amazing that that kids between ten and twelve could could make those sounds. It was, I've got a cassette recording of that band, and it sounds amazing. Do
0: you remember? Um, yeah, what what sort of standards were you playing? Do you do you remember? And,
2: and do you also um,
0: do you also remember going away and listening to the original originals of those songs, or just learning what your your teacher no, I was just, teaching? I
2: just remember learning the songs. As as we had them, and then, yep. like, as I'd kind of, it's funny as I'd grow up and I'd be listening to the radio a song would come on, and I'd be like, why a do co- I know this? It's a cover. And it's because yeah, <laughs> it's a
0: cover of our school band, man. Come
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's because um, it'd be like with like you'd play songs like When I'm Sixty Four by the Beatles or yeah. Penny Lane, Yep. um, or even things like Boogie Woogie Boogie Boy, mm. um. That was all kind of stage band stuff, and then like as I'd grow up and kind of travel through my, I guess my musical development, these things had kind of come up, and I'd be like, oh, that's, that's what this song is, of course. Um, and there's like with the concert band, there's lots of soundtrack stuff. Like I think we did the the Lion King, and mm. probably Phantom of the Opera and some stuff like that, and then mm. some other songs that, I, yeah, I I don't even know what they were from. Mm.
0: So once primary school ended. Yeah, you, know, you you started high school. Um, what were you kind of doing in between that time of, pl- you know, finishing playing trumpet and before you you picked up the bass and started again? What kind um, of filled that? And how, and how much time were you talking about there? How many years?
2: Well, I stopped. So in year six, I finished trumpet. So I would have been twelve when I finished in, in like primary school. Yeah. Um, then I went to a high school that wasn't in Ballin. It was actually in Lismore. Um, and which ended up being another kind of stroke of luck, but, um, they had a concert band and I remember going to the concert band rehearsal and, and they just were very good. <laughs> um, and I, I just kind of sat in, into the, the first rehearsal. And I was like, oh, this sounds really bad. I don't want to do this. Yep. Um. So I just kind of told the teacher I wasn't, I didn't want to do it, and I wasn't interested. And then I think in year eight, so I would have been turning fourteen that year, um, we music was an elective that we could take. Um, so it, I was, I was doing that again, and at the same time, kind of like I said earlier, my sister had kind of that there was a guitar at our house, and I'd kind of learnt how to play. I think at E minor and a G. Right. Um, so I kind of I knew I, th- I kind of knew the easy way to play about a girl by Nirvana. So I thought that was pretty cool. Right. Um, and then I just was able to start like listening to things on tape and figuring them out. Mm. Um, and then you'd go to like the the local news agent and kind of look at the ultimate guitar book and <laughs> if there was a trans. A transcription kind of like yeah, yeah. try and remember it and then go <laughs> home and practice. <laughs> oh,
0: right. No mobile phones, can't snap those pictures, eh? <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And man, yeah. those books were like ten bucks. That's a lot of yeah. money for it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, um
0: when so yeah. playing... and then sorry, go on. No, no, you go, you can
2: go. I was I was just gonna say I was um I was kind of I I guess I'd, I I was playing guitar then. And I had an electric guitar and I had a, a band with some schoolmates and we used to hang out and write songs and rock out and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I guess I was always playing music. It was just not the same thing,
1: okay.
2: um, obviously, the concert band stuff and then just making up shit with my, with my mates in Year 7 and Year 8. Um, yeah, and then as far as starting playing bass, um same deal I was in I was in music class and I just finished like the class had just finished and I was sitting there just strumming a, a guitar and one of the other music teachers walked in and was talking to my music teacher uh and then after that he kind of came up and and said oh, oh that sounds cool what are you playing um and then that was kind of it then the next day the next day I saw him at, at like lunchtime or something and he kind of it told me to tuck my shirt in I put my socks up or something like that and I, I did that and then he's like oh and and do you know how to play bass and I'm like I, I don't know what you mean like I, I've never played a bass in my life And then he's like all right come come with me and so we, we went to the one of the music rooms and he handed me the bass and he's like all right do this and he's and it was just like play the like play the e string and he's like mm. all right now do it with both fingers in like a, like a shuffle like, da, 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 da. And like I could do that and then he's, he kind of asked me to do something else and I could, I could kind of just do it. Mm-hmm. And he said, cool, you're the bass player in the school stage band. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> um, what, what does that mean? And he just said, well, it rehearsals are Wednesday lunchtime. Um, and I think it's in sports, like in like Tuesday afternoon or something like that. And that was kind of the start of me playing bass because this, this music teacher, told me that I was a bass <laughs> player. Right.
0: Um I like this yeah. into the conversation though. Hey, hey boy, tuck your shirt in. By the way.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. have just come up and say, hey, how you doing, man? You know, you want to join the band? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's funny. Like I'm I'm still in touch with that teacher. He's he's cool. a huge part of the reason that I do what I do today. His name's um his name's Nick Peterson. uh yeah and I ended up like he ended up being my teacher all through high school, and I learned so much about music and mm. and and so much so much of the joy that he had with teaching music and and, and that just rubbed off on all the kids that he taught. I was, was super lucky. Same as the the primary school thing, I was just super lucky to to be in that position to to have him tell me to tuck my shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good one. Um, now, did you? Go away straight away and start looking up bass players, looking for bass players and instead of looking at the guitar magazine going to find the bass magazine and'
2: it's, yeah, it took me probably six months or so, I reckon mm-hmm. maybe six months to six or nine months where I, I'd kind of still tell people I played bass in the stage band, but I was a guitarist. okay um, right. yeah, I was still I was still a guitarist and I, I, yep. that's what I did I didn't I didn't own a bass. Um, so I just would come in and play the one at the school and, and if I needed to to do learn songs, I would just learn them at school. Um and then after about six months or so, I I can't remember how it kind of happened, but it was like, All right, cool. Well, I I I better get some lessons. I, I'm gonna get some lessons and, and maybe do this thing and saved up some money and my parents lent me some money and I ended up buying a bass and that was kind of the, the start of it. And from I guess from then, which would have been, I was 15, like really 14 or 15. Um, it was in year nine. So, yeah, I was 14 at the start of year nine. Um, I was a bass player then. And then it was kind of like my teacher started exposing me to, to some different stuff and I'd, I'd start like listening for bass lines and playing bass lines. And, right. Yeah, and then I ended up like being in like bands with mates playing bass. Mm Um, and that kind of stuff. So I guess by that stage it was like, cool, this is, this is what I'm going to do now. Mm. When you were
0: playing guitar, did you start really learning, learning what all the chords were that you're playing or, or was it just like playing the shapes? What I'm kind of getting to there is like when you, when you started taking your bass lessons, did things kind of make sense from the point of view of a structure of a chord or a scale or something like that? Or was yeah, it just a little, just cool?
2: yeah. a little bit, but most of it, most of the stuff that I was doing on guitar was just like I learned how to play some bar chords and some open yep. chords, and okay, and it, it was it was a way like I go away. I know how to make a like make a major bar chord or a minor one. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of the actual construction of chords, I, I had no idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I knew how to play like lots of different chords. I didn't know why they were that particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd kind of just teach myself stuff from books and, and yep. songbooks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when I started playing bass and getting actual lessons, I was, the teacher that I had was very, very thorough in terms of really kind of hammering all, all that kind of stuff home and starting at the start and learning about like a major triad and, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Who were the, some of the bass players you started listening to early on?
2: Um. In terms of actual, like, specific bass players, I guess when I was in high school, a lot of the stuff that I was listening to was like, um, was stuff that, that my, my teacher would, my bass teacher would, would kind of put me onto. So mm-hmm. even like he was a, he was a huge fan of, um, the, you know, dig, um, like directions in groove. That's, yeah yeah, with, with yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Alex Alex Hewittson, yeah, by, yeah, yeah. Alex yeah. Hewittson and um, mm. and Sam. I think Sam Dixon was in it earlier as well. Okay. Um. So yeah, he kind of gave me, gave like got me onto that stuff, and so we'd play some of that stuff, and and a lot of the time, a lot of that was because I'd you'd, at school you'd have to do like a performance every six months. Yep. So you'd you'd kind of figure stuff out, like songs to learn for that. Um. There's a Red Hot Chili Pepper stuff, which was always like what most kid bass players yeah, yeah get into. Um uh who else? I guess I mean most of that that kind of I used to really like all that that rock stuff. And being from up in um going going to high school in Lismore and being on the North Coast. There was actually a, a pretty a pretty vibing music scene up there at the time. Like bands like Grinspoon and all that were, were all at uni. there and it was like in lismore town That was a huge scene so i remember when i was in year 12 we'd sneak out and sneak into bars to watch bands and i remember seeing grinspoon and stuff like that so you'd always Mm. i'd always be learning all those kinds of all those kinds of lines Mm. um i do remember the day that my teacher showed me a recording of victor wooden Mm -hmm. and it was just he just put on the cd and he was like oh that's a bass and i was like yeah (laughs) that's 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 not a base and he's like no it is and then I guess I I kind of went pretty heavy into that stuff because I was just like holy shit yeah um like how how do you do that yeah um yeah yeah and I I guess like you you just start doing more and more reading and you kind of start hearing all these other names and Mm. and guys like Marcus Miller and Mm. And Stanley Clark and and Jaco and all those guys that yep. people are, the I guess they're the, they're the heroes. Yep. Um, I didn't I didn't really get into get into them at that time, so much. I, I don't know why. Mm. Probably because I didn't practice enough.
0: <laughs> that that's, that shit could scare you
2: two ways. <laughs> you can oh, take it two ways. I mean, it
0: can make you go and practice harder or, or just put your base away. <laughs>
2: it certainly does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. Now, when are your sort of early memories of um, first gigs, like paid gigs and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I think the first the first paid gig I did was in a place called Casino, which is like west west of Lismore on the north coast. Um, yeah, and, and that was a, a guy in a local music shop that I'd kind of come to know just from being like a local kid that, like to hang out in music shops. Yeah. Um. He kind of he had a gig and he couldn't do it. And he was like, "You'd definitely be able to do this gig." Mm-hmm. Um. So I think I was in year twelve. I might. Like, you maybe maybe I'd just finished school or something like that. Um. But he, yeah, it was pretty much just like pub rock, and I remember doing the gig and getting paid 150 bucks cash at the end of it, and thinking that was pretty amazing. Mm. 'Cause it was paying me a lot more money than my job in the deli at Woolies did at Franklin, <laughs> Snow. <sorry.
0: laughs> oh, we all gotta do it that eh? <laughs> way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you remember the feeling of, of being on stage and playing that music though? Let's just put the money aside for a sec. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I I definitely done I definitely performed a lot through high school and stuff with different bands as well. Yeah. So I kind of knew like the That wasn't so new to me, okay. In terms of like being on stage, Um, I guess the thing that was new is that I didn't know anyone else in the band, and I kind of just rocked up as this kid,
0: right? And your first session almost, (laughs) yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: And i I I had some. I had a book of charts that the other bass player had kind of written, and he kind of gave to me, so I had them. And it was like paper charts in a folder on a music stand. Like this is a long time ago yeah, no yeah. iPads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so I think I mean I, I'd practice the songs a heap and I kind of felt like if there was a child in front of me, I I didn't really wasn't really worried about not knowing the songs. It was just trying to I guess trying to see what happened. Mm. Um I didn't I didn't really know anything about I guess the stuff that you learn the more that you do it in terms of like how to lock in with the drummer. Mm-hmm. Um and like how to listen to everyone and how to play as a band. I I don't I I mean, I definitely wouldn't have been aware of all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um I was probably just hacking away through the, yeah. through these songs. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean they they seemed happy and I ended up filling in with that band a couple of other times. Um which is yeah, which is funny to to think back to now. Mm. I hadn't thought about it in that in years. <laughs>
0: That's the whole point <laughs> of this. <laughs> <laughs> tickle the memories. <laughs> All right. So where, where to from there? How we start to progress?
2: Yeah. So I guess straight out of high school, I went straight into uni okay. um did a music degree up in Lismore. At now, I was Cross. gonna
0: say is it's still up there, yep.
2: Yeah. Um I didn't want to go there because I'd kind of spent so much time in the area. Um but I wanna I was, the uni I wanted to go to in Brisbane. I went and auditioned and and what seemed super positive at the end of the audition ended up—I didn't end up getting offered a place there. But I'd come to meet the the guy who was the lecturer, the, like the bass tutor at Southern Cross, through my high school, my um, private—sorry, my private, private bass teacher, who was mm-hmm. actually at Southern Cross teaching, uh, learning at the time. So I'd kind of been to his exams, and I'd kind of been to the uni, and had met the base lecturer there a few times so he actually called me out of the blue mm. um like i think after the first round of uni office came out and i didn't get a place in brisbane he kind of called me and said hey I, I just saw that you had you didn't get into the, the the brisbane place you wanted to um just wanted to let you know that there's a place here for you um if you mm. want it and i kind of at the time i i kind of had my heart set on moving away from home and, and just experiencing something different. Um, and then the, so I kind of told him that we'll see what happens in the next round and the next round of offers come out and and I didn't get one of those. So he called me again and he's like, look, I'll give you the phone number of the guy who is the, the head of the music program up in in Brisbane, um, give him a call and I'm, like he, he, I think that they are friends or something like that. He's like, give him a call and tell him that you got the number from me and that you audition and everything and just ask where they're at and what and what if they're still if they're still places. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an amazing thing for, for him to do that's totally above and beyond him his job right. of yeah. Um so I I ended up doing that and the guy kind of said that they'd filled all the places. So I called uh his name's Greg Lyon, who's the 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 bass teacher at Southern Cross. He was. Um I called him back and I was like, cool, look, what do I have to do? And he said, just change your preferences um, in the, the uni admissions thing. And then I ended up right. going in for just to to, to kind of meet him face to face. I didn't really have to audition or anything like that, which I found out later was rare because, <laughs> um, right? yeah, I think the audition process was pretty pretty stringent. But I think he was pretty keen on having like a local kid kind of hang around and, and come in um, so I, I went straight from high school to to the music program up there, which is which is just like the like the biggest eye-opening experience musically that I, I could have had. Um in what way? Yeah. Well just in terms of like well, I guess in my year there were three bass players, sorry, sorry, four bass players, and there was like twenty-five guitarists and Sixteen drummers and twenty singers, and everyone has to do performances at the end of every semester, and they need a bass player. So it just meant that I was rehearsing and playing all the time. Yeah. Um, So you just get you just get so used to playing so many different types of music with so many different people, Um, and you kind of get good at rehearsing and learning stuff. And it's just just playing, just playing, and being exposed to. To so much of the music. Um, so so much music that I'd never been exposed to as an 18-year-old kid from northern New South Wales. It was just, it was obviously just so much stuff that you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I was also, there weren't too many people that were my age there. Like most of the people were kind of well into their twenties and 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 even, even in their 30s some of the time. So kind of hanging out with all these different people who would actually been in the music industry and been doing gigs for years, and had for whatever reason decided to go and study study music. So that was pretty cool as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So uni uni finishes. Did that sort of did that sort of um open your eyes and and make you think maybe I'm only going to get so far up here? Do I need to move to a city?
2: Yeah, totally. I think. Okay. I mean, I was definitely ready to to move. By that stage, I'd kind of been on the, I think I was what 21 or 22. Okay. By that stage. So I'd kind of been around that area for 20 years, yep. was, for as long as I could remember, anyway. Yep. yep. So it was definitely time to try something new. Um, and a lot of the people I studied with moved to Melbourne. Um, and for whatever reason, I didn't want to do that. Um, so and and moving do you remember why? Do you remember why you didn't want to go to Melbourne? Not really. Okay. No idea. Yeah. yeah I mean yeah, cool. it, it, it might have had something to do with just like I don't know. Like meeting different people instead of kind of just like moving where I already knew everyone. I, I, I honestly All right, don't. Right. I can't remember. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, but I remember speaking to Greg um and he said oh, you're going to move to Sydney, here's, here's a couple of phone numbers for some guys, um, just give him a call and tell him that you got the number from me and catch up for a beer. You'll get along with both of them. Um, there are two base players that had both gone through Southern Cross. Mm-hmm. Um, one was James Hazelwood mm-hmm. and the other one was a guy named Pat Savina um, and they're both such legends and, yeah, it was awesome. Like I think Greg... Greg said something like, "Oh, they're they're both they're both country boys as well. Like you guys will get along really well." <laughs>
1: right. um,
2: so I moved to Sydney, and then it probably took me like six months or so, and then I ended up calling him and catching up and having a beer and and just kind of talking about what it's like, mm. um, which was awesome. It's awesome to have that kind of that network just that I could kind of just fall into and and right. just yeah. And then, and then, like James, like to this day, I think Pat Pat lives in in Western Australia now, um, in Perth, and he's still gigging over there. But James is—I mean, James has played with everyone. He's such a, yep. a monstrous bass player. Yep. But to this day, I still get I still get calls from people um, that James has given my number two um, to to fill in for him, or he can't do it. So he's he's for whatever reason they need a bass player, he can't do it. Um, Yeah, which is it's. I mean, it's so lovely that that happens, um, especially from a guy like that. He's such a such a weapon and such a genuinely lovely dude.
0: That's great. Now, what year? I'm just trying to think of trying that to see w- the time. What year did you come down
2: to Sydney? I think it was 2005. Okay. Yeah, around 2000, 2005 or 2006. Yeah, kind of I think it's two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I moved down to Sydney. I got a job working in a music shop, um, just because I need a job. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing that for a while. And then one of the it's it's funny, I can um I can trace pretty much all of the gigs that I do now back to one gig. <laughs> really? Um yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wild when it, when I think about it like that. But there was one of the um one of the guitar tutors in that music shop it was a guy named James Kelly, and he kind of just came in one day. He's like, "Hey man, I'm doing this gig on Friday. Do you want to do it?" Mm. Um, and I was just like, "Yeah, cool, sure." Um, and it was in Balmain at the the Town Hall Hotel. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was there, and it was just bare, like a. Seven piece band just playing like funk and reggae and Mm. and that kind of stuff. And then from that, I started getting like like the keyboard player um, called me, and I did some gigs with him. And then the singer called me, and I started doing some more stuff with him. And and then you just yeah, it's it's wild how it It just goes. Yeah, yeah.
0: James James Kelly is 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 that not is that not Jim Kelly? That's a different 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 guy. guy. Okay, right. Okay, yeah. I I just needed to clarify that.
2: Yeah, it's it's also even more more hilarious because James, who who also gets called Jim, went to Southern Cross and learned guitar from Jim Kelly. So Jim (laughs) (laughs) Jim Kelly. (laughs) It's a fucking
0: strange world sometimes, eh? (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. I was was kind of like, oh, this is so wild.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, and there's like I think I think Carlos Adura was playing drums. Uh, Sam Boyd was playing keys. Um, oh, I can't remember who the horn players were. Jim was playing guitar. I think the singer was a guy named Sid. Um, yeah, and it kind of all all ended up just kind of spreading from there.
0: Yeah. Now the the music shop gig was that was that your the gig uh, the gig at the. The bass people, or did that come about? No, that?
2: no, that came okay. later. So I worked in a okay. in a shop a music shop in Willoughby, um, okay. called Music City. I was there for probably four years mm-hmm. and and then I, I don't really I don't know how I kind of came across the ad, but there was there's was an ad looking for people f- like for a, a, a bass specialty store that was gonna open up and I was kinda like, well, I kind of know how to work in a music shop. And I'm a bass player, and that probably sounds a bit more fun than what mm-hmm. I was doing. Um, so yeah, I applied for that and ended up being given the given the job of the manager. Oh, just um, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was. They were like, "Do you want to? Do you want to be the manager?" I'm like, I, "I, don't know how to do that, but sure." Um, and I ended up doing that, which is which is awesome. And there's, st- there's still relationships that I have to this day of people that I've met when i was running that shop both both people like other players and stuff like that right. um and also like companies like the the companies that I, I i've got endorsement deals with now i met a lot of those guys through running that music shop yep um yeah so it's kind of it's it's interesting how it, it all ends up being works working out together but yeah so that was 2000 and I think the end of 2007 was when December 2007 was when we kind of first opened the doors, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of went all the way to 2012.
0: I walked into that store in 2008, <laughs> and I wanted I wanted to buy a Galeen Kruger amp, yeah. and you talked me into. Um, <laughs> I actually <laughs> I ended up walking out with a little Mark II, oh and, yeah, and a, yeah, and a and a Mark base uh, four ten quad, you know, yeah. with the front ports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause I always loved that Galen Kruger fleece yeah, yeah. You know, sound. And and it's a sound that I kind of grew up with too. Like back in New Zealand, yeah. a lot of the bass players had that gear. And yeah, I just cool. had that sound in my head. And and then when I walked into the shop, yeah, you you said, Oh have you heard of this stuff? Listen to the you know, this is what the Galen Kruger stuff can do, but listen to this. And I and there's a there was a couple of filters on the little mark II. yeah. And um, yeah. you went look. It could sound like this, like boof, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I went, "Fuck, it looks cool too. It's orange, you it? <laughs>
2: know, it's light." It's like, that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah. There's there's, there's, yeah. A, there's another connection I didn't even another know about. connection. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, now, um, so you said that sort of um, I mean that sadly closed in 2012. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk yeah. about um? how that sort of came about closing was there, was it things like um, sort of people buying stuff online?
2: You no. Know you had Alan's, like, Alan's... I mean, we, we kind of, we, we used to import a lot of stuff. So we were kind of pretty, pretty savvy to the, the reality of buying stuff online, especially because a few years in there were a few years in there where the Australian dollar was over parity with the U S. So it was like yep. buying stuff in the U S was so cheap. Yep. Um. so we kind of always had maintained a pretty decent online presence it was more that the guy who owned it he he set that shop up because he kind of had a dream to own a, a base specialty store that was like a really high-end hi-fi store um and so he was i guess he was kind of just ticking a, a thing off his his bucket list okay. and it got got to the point where He'd done that and I could kind of tell something was gonna change. I was I was probably getting a little bit, I don't know, like I don't know what the, the phrase is, you you kind of get like you know, itchy feet or something like that. I kinda of, I, I kind of felt mean. like yeah. I needed a I needed something to change and I could feel that something was gonna change anyway. Okay. And he'd just been overseas, he came back and and him and I had a meeting and he kind of told me that he wanted to to get out of it. And he said that he offered he offered to sell it to me,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I kind of I did I kind of knew straight away that I didn't want to do that. Um, I think if I had been ten years old, I think I was twenty eight at the time. I think if I had been ten years older, I probably would have said yes and and yeah right and changed it. But I kind of hadn't ever since I'd been in Sydney. I'd always kind of had a job. Um, okay. I had never tried to give it so a crack. We, so yeah you weren't,
0: yeah, you, weren't a, you weren't a pro muse at that stage.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was still yeah, yeah. I mean I was gigging but I, I hadn't I kind of always had this day job and so I hadn't really done gotcha. much touring or gotcha. anything and just stuff that I wanted to do. Um mm. which I knew that I would regret if I didn't at least give it a crack. Mm. Um, and
0: and was the, was the store successful when it was like at at the time that he came in to sell it? Or offer it to you? Was it was it still doing really well?
2: Yeah, it was. It was doing okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. Yep. I guess the thing that it needed to, like, some changes needed to be made uh, to to really get it kicking ass. Okay. Um, and that's, I guess, I I knew what those changes would be. Yep. Um, and I just wasn't prepared to to sure. do that work at the time. And he sure. he obviously had some other plans for what he wanted to spend his time. Um, and his money on because it was mm-hmm. ultimately all, all his money that I would spend every month buying sure. all these guitars right. and ads. Right. right. Um, yeah. So it just it just it seemed like um it seemed like he could try and sell it as a business, or he would just run it down and, and slowly kind of just move the stock out until it was at a point where okay. it wasn't really worthwhile having having the the doors open and any anymore so over that next year it kind of went from uh we had three shop fronts on Parramatta Road mm-hmm. um we kind of went from three down to just one in the end and uh, as yeah. as we'd kind of sell more stock we'd kind of realize that cool we, we, we can fit we can fit three shops into two now mm-hmm. um and then by the end it was just there was one left um, I think for the last like uh, seven months, it was just me in, the, in there every yeah, day. Right, right. Um, yeah, which got a bit lonely, but I got lots of lots of practice done.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, Sustained all the gear as well. That's great. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay,
0: and
2: then so, it, it
0: finished. Mm. so as soon as the shop finished, I mean, obviously, you knew it was you knew it was coming. Were you setting yourself up at that stage? To, to go pro, did you have some gigs lined up and were you yeah. putting yourself out there to be available a lot more?
2: Yeah, well, there were lots of people that I was kind of already working with, yep, um, like quite a bit, and they all kind of knew what was happening, and they also knew that I was probably a lot more available and a lot more flexible um, in terms of being able to be away and all that kind of stuff uh, because of the what was happening with the shop, even in those last few months. The owner of the shop was... Kind of, he was cool. He's like, if you need to go away or something, just like, just arrange for one of the other guys to just come in and, and open and run the shop for that day. That's cool. Like, mm. um, so yeah. I guess by the time that the doors actually closed, I was, I'd, I had gigs in the book, and and everyone kind of knew. well other people that I knew that I worked with regularly, knew that I was going to be around a bit more. Mm. Um, yeah and then it, it kind of just it kind of just went from there i think like a month later or something i got offered a tour with a, with the a blues artist um which was kind of went went around the country and um and just bits and pieces like that yeah and you just kind of i don't know just figured it out
0: mm. hey i hope you enjoying this episode of the podcast as you know, the Gig Life Podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything ever. But if you find the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can donate or leave a tip. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, click on the donate button and give as little or as much as you like and just know that anything you give will go back into creating great content for this podcast. All right, back to the episode. Um, Rayman3. Yeah. When did that come about?
2: When so that was, that I started um, I started filling in for Byron, um, who was the original bass player in that band. Yep. Uh, I started f- depping for him. I can't remember what year it was. Probably like two thousand and twelve, sometime around. There. He
0: was he was the original voice bass player, wasn't he? Did he play the first? I think he. Played yeah, the, the, yeah, he yeah, did the
2: right. He did the first first couple of seasons. Yep. Um yeah, and then he got so he, he was doing the Rayman thing and then he got the John Butler gig and then yep. he just ended up that that's kinda of, that was all pretty pretty all consuming. So yeah. I'd been filling in up until that point and then I Ray just kinda of asked me if I just wanted to do all the gigs. Um That's cool. Yeah, which I definitely wanted to because it's so much fun.
0: <laughs> mm. And how long did you do that for?
2: Uh, well, it's still whenever, Ray lives in Berlin now, um, which right, he has, okay. has done for the last uh, probably like four, four years, four or five years.
0: Okay. So whenever um, he's back or whenever he's got something going on?
2: Yeah. So he, hmm. he kind of comes back, it's kind of been once a year, um, cool. he comes back once a year and he, he flicks us a message about a couple of months out when he's kind of planning it and. And he just says, "What do you reckon, fellas?" And we yeah. were always just so keen to just get together and have a play. Um, it's just there's like the thing with that band is it's just always been just so playful. Like there's 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 so much interaction with the band and and playing in a trio as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I remember like one of the first gigs I did um, was I think in Armadale or something. It was part of a tour. Um, with Ray and grant grant Garethy was playing drums and it was just like you start playing and then you just it took me a while to get used to the space because that band was was pretty was not afraid to not play mm-hmm. um like oftentimes there, oftentimes there would be no one like it'd just be like a kick drum every couple of beats uh, like mm-hmm. you'd break break things right down to nothing and Mm. and jam so i I remember getting used to like i i remember definitely noticing that there was so much space and then learning to not feel the need to put anything Mm. there um Mm. which was it was it just made it so much more fun once you once you kind of get past that urge of just going oh shit nothing's happening maybe i'll do something stupid and play too many notes um you start playing with each other, and, and it just becomes so much fun. And those gigs were always just, and they still are. Just most of the time, it's just us laughing and and playing around. And there's so many little little things that happen, or someone will do something, and you'll decide to to go with that, and then the song will go in this whole other different direction, and and mm. then somehow it'll, it'll end up back where you started, and stuff like that. It's so mm. so great, so much so much music, so much musicality.
0: Yeah. You're talking about, you know, um, dealing with that space and that I'm sure that sort of would have gotten grained in you. I've been listening to your, your, um, tenderfoot albums the last couple of days. Um, not saying there's that much space in that music. I mean, I mean, with the ballads, maybe there is, but like you're playing on that stuff. It's not. It's not busy. It's to the song. You could, you could, if you want to play so much more. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then when you, when you do your embellishments or your fills, they're really, really tasty, but then you're just back and it's just solid and it's simple. And um, do you think, you know, that the time in the band with Ray, like sort of knowing how to deal with that space has sort of
2: taught yeah. you how to approach
0: songs like oh, that? Man, yeah.
2: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 100%. Um, mm. like the, the, all that stuff with Ray and, and even like stuff like back when I was back at uni, like that you learn different things and, mm. and you're very quick. Like if, if you, if you're playing too much, you very quickly learn how to realize that you are just by reading <laughs> the other band members. well um, right. at least I did. I mean, I, I, I remember, definitely a few times at uni where I would be playing and then you'd kind of you kind of realize that everyone else like someone else in the band is kind of just like no man like that's not it right or like the, the drummer might be like digging in and going no man this is where, this is where we're at or something like that mm. um, all those kind of lessons but in terms of like yeah i mean you kind of say like like you say with the the tenderfoot stuff you could you could always mm. play more but mm. like, there's, there's uh, it's a baseline. I, li- I like playing baselines.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Certainly a baseline player. If that makes sense to the people yeah. listening, yeah, you really, you really are like master at it. Almost, you know.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of it just. I mean, it's it's one of those things you get told all the time. It's like that's how you, that's how, that's how you work, right? Right. Um, like that's how you get get a job as a bass player is to to play the play play the bass it sounds like a a stupid thing to say when you say it like that but there's there's a very specific role that that instrument in my mind has in most situations in most situations Um, yeah and you have to make sure that that you're kind of doing that before you can do anything else like in Mm. terms of anything else like like more harmonically interesting or, or even like the embellishments mm. and stuff like that. There's kind mm. of, none of that stuff means anything if you're not playing the bass, the line, and yeah. taking care yeah. of business. You kind of. Yeah. That's it.
0: You, taking care of business. Beautiful. Yeah.
2: Like you, you do that and then you'll find that there's places where it might be appropriate or you can, you can step out every now and then and, and play something and it's, it kind of it makes sense in the music, or it makes sense mm. in the song. And then there's other times where you just definitely don't need to step out at all and do that And you just sit on the groove, and that's your job. And if I don't know, I, I find that probably the the most fun part of playing bass is like when everything's really kind of hitting, and like the bass and the drums and the the keys and the guitar are all just really locked in and on something. That's the best Mm -hmm. part of it. Like, Mm. yeah, that's, that's kind of really what, what does it for me.
0: Mm. Just moving forward to to the Lockie Dolly group, which she, which, you know, we did talk a little bit about before. Um, Now, does that group allow you to, I mean, there's obviously not as much space in that band. (laughs) Lockie. Lockie, Lockie is just an incredible organ player and takes up that space. Yeah. You know, with the organ and the vocals um yeah, you, know, you uh, yourself yourself and Jackie, you got a hell of a hell of a thing going on there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty it's pretty wicked, it, it's a pretty mean pocket. But do you in in that band um get that little bit more uh I'm not gonna say space, um opportunity to play a little bit more.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um and it, it almost that band almost demands it. Um, mm. the way that I kinda hear it is is that that music and and Lockie, like like you see Lockie play, he's he's at one hundred and fifty percent all the time. He just yeah. from the from the downbeat, he is on and going hard. So, yep. and um, I mean Jackie, Jackie's the same. Like, yeah, Jackie doesn't hold anything back. So, yeah, when I played with them for the first time in that particular lineup, I just kind of realised very quickly that that it was that part of that gig was to to take up that that space, like to like Lockie's Lockie's kind of doing his thing with the organ and the clav and obviously singing. Um, um, and Jackie's doing his thing. And then there's this other area over here, which is yeah. for me to do stuff in. Um, um, and that yeah, I guess that that's that's something that like learning how to 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 still be appropriate and still make it Make it groove and and make it feel good because mm-hmm. you're still like mm-hmm. you're, it's, it's the, as far as I'm concerned the best times in in that band as well are when, is when everything's really locked in and we like the three mm-hmm. of us are all firing and
1: mm-hmm. everyone's
2: kind of smiling and yeah that's mm-hmm. that's when the that's when the with the vibes peaking it's the that's mm-hmm. the best part it's um but yeah it definitely has a lot more freedom than mm-hmm. a lot of gigs. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that it's it's actually not so different to the to the Rayman thing, in in that sense because because there's only three guys, there's still there's not a whole heap of stuff taking up sonic area. Like it's not like mm-hmm. there's a like a big horn section and and three guitars and and all that kind of stuff. So there's still there's still heaps of space for me to yeah. to, to to be myself in there. Um, Mm -hmm. as as same as with with ray it's just about for me it's just about like choosing choosing your spots and choosing your battles and and just listening to what's happening like there's so like monstrous musicians on stage that you get to play Mm. with and and interact with and that's that's where the that's where the music happens right is where you get to Mm. to play with each other and and the shows will be different things will happen on different nights and different songs and um and that kind of interaction that's that's i guess that's just another extension of that it's just in a power trio, a power rock tree yeah yeah
0: <laughs> um let's go back to tenderfoot um how did that come about and um talk a little bit about um the the music that you've done and um you guys also got to go to abbey road studios and record
2: yeah yeah talk wild. a little
0: bit about that yeah yeah
2: yeah. Um, so that that band came out of uh, working with the main singer and the, the main songwriter in that band is a guy named John Vella, um, who I think I started. What a, play- what a
0: great what a great voice! Sorry, he's got a magic voice. Yeah, I just kept I just hypnotized by his vocals listening to your stuff these last couple months.
2: Yeah, of days. yeah, he's he, he he sounds like himself. He doesn't sound okay. like anyone else. It's um, yep. it's, it's awesome, and I've been working with him since I think like two thousand and nine, um, when he was just writing and releasing songs under his own name, um, and it was pretty much the the keyboard player a guy named Anthony Donlan, um, his nickname is uh, is Torch, um, so we we don't actually everyone just calls him Torch, um, and. <laughs> yeah, it's, I still, I still don't think I know where that nickname comes from.
0: I, <laughs> I kind of got, I kind of got the feeling by your face there that you didn't really know where it came from, so I'm yeah. not going to ask. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I mean, I think I've, I think I've been told, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> and Grant, Grant Garethy from Rayman Three yeah. was playing with him, and he got me involved because John needed someone to play some bass on one of his albums, like his, his album that he was recording back in the day so John called me and I went and, and played some bass on it and did a couple of gigs and then it kind of just started from there I just I, I started playing in his band um I think we did he released that album and maybe maybe like another EP um and then it kind of he John took a bit of a break and he came back and said look I'm keen to do some more stuff again but I want to I don't want to do it just as me. I want to do it as a band, um, and we were all we were all super keen. John had some some new songs to to kind of start working on, and then that's kind of how Tenderfoot came about. And we just yeah we did an EP. Uh, we did an EP that we recorded at uh, Oceanic Studios, which is up in. Um, on the northern beaches, there it's Jim Mogini's Studio from um, mm-hmm. Midnight Oil, mm-hmm. and we did. So we recorded an EP there, and then off the back of that, a few years later, um, the John John aside from doing like the the band stuff, he is a composer. So he writes music for for like ads and and like film scores mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, and there's a a library music company called audio network that he was writing some music for and they heard the EP and they were like, can we have, can we put this in the library? Like we, we want to have this music in our, in our thing. And at the time we were kind of, we're a little bit reluctant to do that because we were, we were kind of talking to some managers and, and there was some very kind of early discussions with some labels and stuff like that. So we were, not so keen on that at that time and then they were like cool that's that's cool what do you guys think about doing another album um and what do you think about like like maybe hearing some string arrangements and stuff on top Mm. um and what do you think about recording them at abbey road (laughs) and we kind of just went yeah wow um because there are that audio audio network are uh i mean they're a worldwide company now but there they started in london so i think the guy who who originally started audio network has got some strong ties to abbey road i think he had a lot to do with it saving it from actually getting knocked down and turned into apartments or something like that when that was on the right. cards a few years yep. ago um so they they do a lot of work there and that's uh, so they were like yeah we'd love to to record it. And we recorded at Abbey Road. We, we worked there all the time and we kind of thought we'd be a bit cheeky and went back to them and say, how about we do the whole album there? <laughs> <laughs> um, which they promptly said no to. Um, right, right.
0: right. But
2: they did, they did say that um, they'd give us a full day at Abbey Road. Um, and on that day, the strings needed to be done. The strings would only take two hours And Mm -hmm. we could have the rest of the day to do whatever we wanted there. Mm -hmm. Um, So we all just decided that we were going to go to Abbey Road and and I guess finish the album. So we recorded most of the drums and bass were recorded here in Sydney at Hercules Street Studios. Um, Mm -hmm. A guy named Ryan Miller, uh, who we still work with today, um, mixed it, um, mixed that first album and also... Today, I just heard the final mix of a new song that we just finished. Um, yeah, Ryan's awesome and um, great engineer, great mix engineer. Um, yeah, lovely dude as well. So we recorded that the most of the, the bass and drums here in Sydney, and then we went over to we went over to London and recorded. The pianos, all at Abbey Road, using the the same pianos that the Beatles used, mm. um, which was just such a trip. Like the there's one called the Challen and another one called Mrs Mills, and mm. it's just like you play them and you're like, holy shit, that sounds like the Beatles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, really?
2: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like you, like you start like you like the torch was just sat down and started playing Lady Madonna and you're like holy shit that's the piano that that song was recorded on
0: <laughs> wow
2: yeah that whole day was just such a such a just an amazing experience it was um the the other the way it ended up working out was i think i had a tour that was finishing in sydney I finished in brisbane on the the saturday night and then the day that we were given in the studio in abbey road was monday in late london time so there was one flight that that would get me there on time and still let me be able to do the tour which which paid for my flight over there uh yeah so the other guys went over there like three days earlier and they they were already there and i Landed in Sydney on the Sunday at like nine am, and I think I flew out of Sydney on the same day at like five pm. Right. Um, landed in London at I think seven seven am, and yeah, it was just it was just so surreal. It was like well, I was waiting in the the customs queue, and I'm like, cool. All all the, all I need to do now is to get through customs. And the whole time I'd kind of been thinking, like, well, what am I going to say? Like, I'm not here to play any gigs, but I'm going to a, re- a recording studio and like maybe they're not going to believe me. And well, fuck if they don't let me in. All this kind of stuff goes through your head. Yeah. yeah. So I get to the counter and the, the lady is kind of like, oh, cool. What are you doing here? And I'm, I just kind of took a deep breath and just said, oh, look, a band I'm in was signed to a, a publishing company over here and we're recording an album. At Abbey Road, and they're doing some recording today, and we're, we're we're I'm here to watch, and and to just to be there while well, it happens. And she kind of said, "You came all this way, just to do that." And I kind of said, "Well, it's Abbey Road." And then she kind of looked at me and looked at my passport, and then went, "Yeah, fair enough." Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she stands it, um, and then I kind of got through there, and I was kind of standing there. I'm like, "Cool, now." I need to figure out how to get to the road, <laughs> um, which ended up being fine. I think I caught a, I caught a, a train and ended up just down the road and, and walked up. And you kind of you get there and like, the big gates are closed and there's all these people there just like standing at the gates and people are walking across the road and getting photos and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: So there's like people just standing at the gate. They're like two, two people deep. And I, I think I was probably stood there for about 10 minutes just at like yeah. outside with like with a suitcase and like a base. And I was like, oh, I should probably just go in, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of ask, just ask people, oh, sorry, I just need to get through. People are just like, how come, why is he going inside? And I think I, um, I walked it's inside. i with the band. <laughs> <laughs> with the band, <laughs> I walked inside and there's a guy there who just must be like his job, is to just guide people who have never been into Abbey Road before in, and point them in the right direction. I walked in. And he, I was he was like, hey, oh, hey man. He's like, oh, first time here. I was like, fuck, you can tell. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, you you must be with the other Aussie boys, right? right. I was like, yeah. And um, he said, oh, they're down they're downstairs at the moment having some brekkie. Um, just had had down those stairs just there so there's a on the down the stairs at Abbey Road it's a huge place like there's it's a massive complex
0: is it really right um
2: but downstairs there's like a cafe during the day and then it gets to like six or seven pm and it turns into a bar um yeah like they've got like beer taps and all that kind of stuff but during the day it's just like you like so we sat down and we all had some had some breakfast and then we went upstairs and spent the day in Abbey road and I ended up retracking one of the bass things just because I was at Abbey Road and there was no way I wasn't going to not record yeah, it. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, so we did that and we did all the the pianos. There's actually one of the songs on the album. It's called Life's Not Perfect. That's actually recorded in the studio at Abbey Road with John just singing and playing. Um, mm-hmm. That was just, yeah, like we, we were just like, let's just do that. Um, and... The, <laughs> So like we were all kind of taking turns with the camera, walking around, and then so he's doing that, and there was this like little mezzanine section that I was standing on above, taking pictures, and I didn't realise that you could actually hear the camera shutter. Um <laughs> <laughs> in in the rec- in the recording, so if you listen at the end of the song, I'm gonna I'm gonna if, listen to it again. Yeah. It finishes, yeah. You can hear like a, like a camera <laughs> camera shutter, and that was me taking pictures. Right. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was just one of those things that, like, we listened back in the studio, and I was just like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry." And he's like, "Nah, no, it's you're not. Cool. No, you, nah, no, no, you
0: recorded <laughs> that at Abbey Road, man." <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah so did that- you
0: get to Did you get to see the um those plate reverb rooms?
2: Yeah, so so we around?
0: Tour. Oh, right? Awesome. Um, yeah, oh, awesome.
2: So the guy who the the guy who had got us in there, the the guy from Audio Network, who was the owner, um, I think we had a break, like a, a like a tea break or something like that, and he was like, "Oh, Joel, you went here the other day, so you didn't get the tour. Come with me now." Awesome. Um, and he's just like, um, "Cool." So you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to take your phone out, or you're not allowed to to take any photos. But I'll show you all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so we walk along the thing, and there's like a recording console on the just out in the hallway on wheels, this mm. old old console. And he's like, "Oh yeah, that was um that I think like like Dark Side of the Moon or something was recorded on that, or some some <laughs> huge album." And I'm like, "And it's just sitting in the hallway." He's like, "Yeah, every, <clears> everything still gets used." Then he opened this cupboard, and he um there was this really old four track recorder. It was in two pieces, um, no, two or three pieces. And he was like, "The Beatles recorded their first album on that." I was just like, "Holy shit!" Um, Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. And just like all that stuff is just around, and they, it's all, it all gets used still, and it's all in in working order, and and they all. Like they've got obviously like guys that maintain it and stuff like that. Mm. Like the, the I think the desk that we were recording with in Studio C, which is the smallest one, which is what we're in, um, mm. that was getting used the next day in one of the other studios. So they had to like we finished and then they said, all right, cool, let's move it. So they kind of got it on its wheels right. and moved it out into one of the other into one of the other studios for the next day, or something like that. Um, but yeah, so he, he showed me all the different studios in Studio A, which is a huge one that they do all the, yeah. the orchestra recordings in. Mm. They were doing a um, like a mic scratch test setting up for uh, an orchestra the next day. So there's like the guys in the control room, and then a guy, one of the engineers, just walking around scratching these mics yep. to check the lines were all, all there. Yep. And then we stuck our head. There was some people in the Studio B, the, the middle one, which is where all the – um, it's like the one that the Stones did um, that that stuff at and um, mm-hmm. all that live – you know, that series live at Abbey Road that was on TV? Yep. Yeah. All yep. that stuff was in, in that middle-sized one. Okay. Um, yeah, so we got the, got that tour and then we finished – I think we finished at 9 p.m. and then the engineer – who was one of the house engineers at Abbey Road, just kind of said, oh, cool, let's go and have a beer. And we we're like, oh, cool, yeah, is there, is there a pub? He's like, oh, no, we just go downstairs. There's a, there's a bar downstairs." <laughs> <laughs> we walked downstairs and there was just, it was like everyone who had been working in the, the facility was just hanging out there. It was packed. Um, wow. And just walked up. I, I think I, I walked up and bought a round of beers and the just started talking to one of the guys there. And like a guy who was next to me at the bar, and he's like, "Oh, you were the Aussie guys in Studio C. Oh, cool. How was it? How would you find? How's your experience? First experience at Abbey Road, um, and all that kind of stuff." And I said, "Oh, what? What are you? What were you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, I work out of here. I was just mixing a, a song for Adele." <laughs> it's just like this is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is heavy company that we're just, just have wandered into here. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah that's a- it was a, it was such a wild experience and like we're still we're, s- we're so proud of how that album turned out it's um yeah it's, it's still so stoked i think i think we actually released it 2 years ago now um, yeah. yeah and i i listen to it now and i'm just as happy happy now as I, as it was when it came out i
0: knowing knowing that part of it had been recorded at abbey road when i was listening to it especially today, there's, uh, I can't remember the name of the song, there's a little trumpet part in it. Yeah. And I almost, I don't know if it was just me subconsciously knowing that the Beatles were at Abbey Road, but I'm, I am was kind
2: of thinking, is that a little ode to the Beatles? Yeah, yeah? totally. I know that. Oh, the, it was, right. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, there's a couple of the songs that, that ended up being fairly, like, I mean, I think we we're definitely thinking of, um, borrowing pretty heavily from the Beatles, just with with the vibe and and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But I know the I can't I can't remember the the exact song. Mm. But the
0: trumpets it's not it's not right up in the mix. Yeah, it's kind it's of back there back and it's, it's blowing. It's blowing there. Yeah, and you can hear the you hear the strings as well. And it's like yeah, you know, you see George Martin sitting there and. <laughs> Something like that. It's cool, man. Well done. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really great music. I really enjoy it. Uh I've, I've said this a number of times on the podcast. What I, one of the biggest, uh, not one of the biggest, one of the coolest things I get from this podcast is I get to, get to listen to a lot of different music. So whoever I'm talking to, I'll, you know,
2: yeah, for sure. Check
0: down their stuff. And I, and I listen to it and it introduces me to music that I probably would never have just sort of found on my own. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um and yeah, that's definitely a winner. So you got a new fan here. So <laughs> awesome. <I'll>, thanks for <laughs> it. I'll tell <laughs> the boys. <laughs> yeah, <sweet Ez. laughs> Um, All right. Let's um I wanted to ask a few questions about the voice and that yeah. experience for you. And, yeah, and for sure. um, um I guess first up, how how did it come about? Um, um
2: Yeah, so I actually I actually auditioned two years ago. Um, and, and I didn't get it then. Um, it was, it was me and, and a guy named Christian Attard, who's yeah, a yeah, beast of, I mean, you know, you know, Christian, everyone knows Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't end up getting it at, at the time. Um, but when, so this, so Christian did it for the last two seasons. And then I think he had some stuff going on back in LA, so he couldn't he couldn't commit to the whole season or something like that. I think he he had some some maybe some stuff with his own band that he kind of had penciled in. So the MD Scott Scotty Appleton he called me um and just kind of asked me if I'd be keen if if I was if I was interested in, in doing it. Um mm. yeah, and I I was definitely. Mm. Um mm. it was one of those moments where like I was, I was obviously disappointed that I didn't get it when I auditioned two years ago. But at the time, like I walked out of the audition thinking I couldn't have done any better. Okay. Um, and it also kind of kicked my ass to 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 get a couple of other things happening because there's it's a lot of that show. I mean, increasingly so is a lot of it is played on synth bass, uh, and there's is def- also some upright stuff as well. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I didn't own an upright. I hadn't played upright before, and I'd done like a tiny amount of synth stuff. So yep. that kind of so not one of the one of the things is is Christian plays synth great, um, and he also plays upright. So I was kind of like, cool. Well, I this is a kick in the ass for me to actually put some work into those things. Um, mm. Not even kind of thinking like. Down the track, maybe I'll get another call or something. It's like, well,
0: I gotcha. This is yep. just
2: one of those signs that you've not like I'd known for a long time that I should put some work into those things that I hadn't. So yep. that was just me, uh, taking it as a, uh, a sign. <laughs> a sign from the universe. Yeah. To actually, time
0: to in- time to buy some new tools for the toolbox.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's yeah. and it's so funny, like like the next day. A, a mate of a really really a good mate of mine um called me and we were just talking and he's like oh by the way do you know anyone who wants to buy an upright bass and i'm like yeah oh. me <laughs> and he's like really <laughs> and i'm like yeah and he's like oh okay well do you want me to bring it around and i'm like yeah so he like that afternoon he came around and left it with me and um awesome. ended up buying it and and it's that's that's kind of got a, a whole other level of sentimentality now because that that guy, uh, was a guy named Luke Liang who who actually died a few years ago. So I feel kind of lucky to, to well, I mean I feel lucky to have known Luke because he was such a beautiful guy and, but to have that bass every time I play it now, it's kind of it's kind of like a nice nice reminder. It makes me smile.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
2: Um, um, yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, now, um. So when you started started out you know at the start of the year it was all it was pre-covid um when you did the blinds and and the battles you had crowds there yeah. right right um it must have been must have been strange to kind of go back back after your production broke and not having crowds there because yeah. it's kind of what the show's all about really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, isn't totally. It? And especially because yeah. like it was and, my first season, but the other guys in the band yeah. like um, like Michael Dolce on guitar, Adam Sofo, yeah. Key, yeah. Scotty, um, Scotty on Keyes and Key's an MD, they'd done it every yeah. season. So, so this was yeah. their third season. And Andy, on, Andy Fissenden on drums, this was his second season. So they all kind of – they'd known what what it was like and they were kind of saying oh yeah this is how this this works and they'd kind of give me a heads up going into each round about what what what's different from the last round and how things change and then they're like and then we get to the lives at the end and it's like everything is like it's everything is timed and you kind of like it's 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 a whole other level of excitement and i guess pressure Mm. um and then kind of when we went back in there and even talking to them they're just like oh man this is this is so weird to be doing like the live rounds, yeah. but not having, not having an audience,
0: and and having two of the judges on screen. <laughs> yeah, I
2: know, that was right, another yeah. that was another thing that was kind of mm. a, a little bit weird. But they ended up getting different Aussie like icons to come in, or Aussie artists to come in and be like a guest guest mentor each round. Um, right. Yeah, so I think like the Veronica's did one, Amy Shark did one, Daryl Braithwaite came in. Yep. Um mm. so yeah, that was like I guess it ended up working. I mean we got to play the horses with the guy who made the song famous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that
0: was uh... Yeah, because that was that was the one of the things I was going to ask was you know when you're doing those um those sessions with with the artist, how's that done? Is like the is is the um is the judge basically FaceTiming it in
2: yeah and well, talking and for those for for those two they were yeah like they they had a satellite they had a satellite hook um,
0: right. right so
2: they'd beam them in on the screen and it was it was all real-time interaction and they'd kind of sing the song and then they they'd do the it's called the, the mentoring sessions um, okay yeah so that's it was the same same setup as I guess when they filmed the live show they'd satellite in and and just be there Either in London or Los Angeles,
0: right. yeah. Right. Now playing, playing live. Now, how's how was that pressure? Yeah, you know, it's, playing playing live to TV. Te- sorry, I mean playing live to TV.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's it's different, especially. I mean, it's it's funny the way that the the show the show works in terms of like the workload. So you start off with the blinds, and there's just so much music to play. Um, it's, it's kind of like a baptism of fire. you kind of go in with like a hundred songs and you you're playing you're getting getting sounds and, and learning and, and reading a hundred songs. Um, mm. so I think, in terms of the pressure i definitely I was definitely nervous going into the like the first day on set, um, mm. doing just kind of going, oh shit like. Trying to make sure I had all my shit working and getting used to the setup of, of my little workstation that we we had set up. But I think once once I kind of got into a bit of a like, you kind of get a couple under the belt, and then you're like, all right, cool, this is this is, this is cool. I'm 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 with this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just a, a matter of like, I don't know, trying to forget that there's cameras there but not forget just kind of focus on nailing your part and
0: millions of people (laughs)
2: watch yeah well there is that um yeah i don't don't know it's um it's i'm i i I consider myself pretty lucky that i'm i'm generally a pretty level-headed and and yeah laid back guy yeah um so i'm able to to kind of talk myself out of nerves or, mm. or kind of use – it's actually something that high school music teacher told me. Um, we're doing a, a performance at the Opera House actually, and I was, I was backstage and I was obviously super nervous. It was my HSC performance. Um, and he was like, look, I know you're nervous, but this is just another gig and you just have to use those nerves as – like use that as your energy for the performance. Um, and I've just always remembered that. So anytime I kind of get nervous it's like cool you um I just kind of try and tell myself that that I know how to do it like you just like I know how to play bass I know how to, I know how to do yeah. these songs yeah. that's um, that's why you're there Yeah it's and it's it's that kind of thing um, I think I read I read like an interview with Pino Palladino once and he was talking about this thing called trust chops he's like at the end of the day you just need to kind of let go and trust that you've done the work and just mm. let let it kind of happen. Mm. Um, so I kind of I try and remember that, and just just try and I don't know, just try and nail it, and just mm. and focus and and do what I'm do what I'm there for. I mean, the thing with the thing with playing in a band like that is everyone is really so great. Like it's such yep. a killer yep. band. Yeah. Um, and everyone is just so all over their stuff. Like. Like Dolce's mm-hmm. all over all the guitar sounds, and like mm-hmm. everyone's just taking care of their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, cool. Well, now I have to do the same because that's my job here is to is to take care of my part of the this. So we can all so it all works together. Um, and everyone in everyone in that band just does such a great job of that. You just they just nail it. And then you hear it, you hear it back and you're just like, yeah, that sounds fucking great. Yeah. Did, did you, did you, did you stuff up at all? Uh, there are a couple, there are a couple of little things. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, nothing major. Yep. I think, I think the biggest thing was one of the, one of the songs I had the wrong patch on the synth. So I kind of started out with a, um, started and it was like a the sound that I had on there was like a, a subby thing, and it mm. needed to be like a, a bit more of like an enveloping gnarly thing, okay. and I kind of realized, and I was like, all right, cool, looking at the chart and I'm like, I know exactly where it is that I'm gonna press the button to yeah, switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of yeah i um i I think I, I was like, all right cool uh, there's a there's like two beats before the first chorus or at the end of this section. So I think like the first four bars or something. I'm playing this subby sound, and then I hit the note, and then I, I hit the the patch change, and then I, I had the other sound, and I was like, "All right, cool. Now just don't fucking <laughs> don't fuck up anything else." Um, it's, but it's, it's one of those things that you kind of like, you kind of one of those lessons that you you learn, where like I, I remember learning very on very early on. That you just have to live with your mistakes. Like there's nothing yeah. that you can do to change them. So yep. you can either let it ruin the rest of the song or the rest of the gig, or yep. you can just forget about it and get on with yep. it. Yep. Um, and that was definitely one of those moments where I was like, "Cool, <laughs> let's just get on with it." Um, I
0: spoke to I spoke to the uh, to, to a um a drummer on the podcast a while back, and he had played um some live live TV. And there was a spot in the song. I think the it was supposed to end on the on the on the end of four or something like that. And then the whole like the band stopped at the end of four, but he hit the one of the next bar. <laughs> and um, like when you listen back on to the TV, you can you don't notice it, but yeah, he said that everyone just went <laughs> <like> looked <laughs> yeah. at him, and it just could yeah. consumed him, and it messed him up for days. Eh? It just really cut him up
2: yeah you know, man, I mean it's it, it totally take it, take
0: it you know you can take it many ways, I suppose yeah it totally like you've got the you've got the other sort of attitude well I mean it's happened move on,
2: yeah, and it's yeah, i mean yeah. there's i mean i th- i mean thankfully that i'd I'd done enough work in the lead up especially for the for the blinds is is the it's probably the biggest thing just because there's so much music and you don't as the rounds progress, you play the songs a lot more together as a band right so you get a chance to kind of refine things a little bit more yep but the blinds is kind of like you've got like a hundred songs to get through uh, and they're huge days and like you start early and like uh like i think everyone like everyone makes a mistake like there's there's always like a little thing where um yeah so like someone will, will do something like this it's like you just have a a, a brain snap for like a split second, and you come in like a little bit late on a note or something like that. But there's nothing that that's ever really that horrific that that happened that that wasn't able to to just be either like fixed or or even not not even noticed.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Are you are you doing it next year? Do you know?
2: I don't know. Um, You're I doing, like. Yep. I, I don't know if, um, if, if it's going ahead just because we yeah, haven't, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I expect that I, like, I, I would, well, the band would be lo- like one of the last groups to know, uh, okay. well, maybe not the last, but like, you know what I mean? Like we'll get told sure, no, no. if it's happening yeah. when it's, when it's happening. Um, if, if it's going ahead and, and, it, and yeah, I'd, I'd definitely love to do it again. It was a, it was a great challenge and a great, great experience. And it was also just such a great hang. They're just such good dudes to hang out with, like so much fun. And even, even the times that someone does make like a little, little bit of a mistake, like everyone just gives, gives each other shit for a little bit and then gets over it. Cause we all know that, that it happens to all of us. And yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really fun hang. We had, there's lots of laughs that happen.
0: Yeah. Um, I noticed on your Facebook, um, you you post a fair bit, um, in regards to things like support act and, um, some anxiety groups and and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. What's your What's your thinking around around that? Is that something that you deal with yourself and, and are sharing, sharing to other people? Um, I, I I say that, and I'm I'm happy to say this, but, um, anxiety is something that I've had to deal with all my life.
2: Yeah.
0: Um you know severe severe anxiety. I, I mean I've got it I've got it sussed now I got control of it and that kind of yeah. thing but I know how debilitating it is and and when I saw that on your Facebook it, it sort of piqued my interest and and yeah. yeah. Well
2: I guess um I mean it's it's I've, I guess I'm fortunate that that I haven't ever suffered from really like severe anxiety or or mental mm-hmm. health health issues like, like that which is which I'm, I'm super grateful for, but my wife's uh, a psychologist. Um, so I guess a lot of the, the discussion, like there's a lot of talk at home. She's doing a PhD at the moment on the, mm-hmm. the effect of social media on emerging adult minds. Um, mm. So like, it's, it's something that, that we talk about quite a lot at home. Um, and it's also something that I'm really aware of that a lot of musicians suffer from. Um, and I, for, for whatever, for whatever help that it is, I I think that if there's those resources around, um, then I'd, I'd like to be able to help people get them, um, in terms of the support act stuff, they do heaps of really great, like free, free stuff. Like during COVID they had the, the lunchtime, I can't remember what they were called, like every lunchtime they'd have like a half an hour chat with someone. Um my wife did a heap of those actually. Um and she's now doing a heap like there's um there's like a monthly a monthly like a webinar thing that's free for anyone to to sign up to. And it's just specifically talking about um like different aspects of like how to deal with like the like like unhelpful thoughts or or how to mm-hmm. sit with like with with difficult feelings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually one on, on tomorrow, which is, won't matter when when this goes to air. But once <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, yeah, once it's at least for the next while, once a month, a support act, and it's it's free for people to join. So um, if that can can help some people. Um, deal with with some some harder stuff or Mm -hmm. or even just kind of like just maybe normalize it a little bit more Mm -hmm. um because it's something that i think it's it's better now than it probably was in the past in terms of it there being less of a stigma about it but a lot of people still won't talk about um having having if they're going through some problems it could be anything like Mm -hmm. it it doesn't have to be like full-out depression it can be anything Um, totally but there's there's definitely i think a lot of people might not feel comfortable talking about that so i guess I, i i guess the reason i share it is because i think that it's great and i think that those conversations are are really useful to have um and if people can have access to those things that they might not not might not have known about um then I think that that's even better. That that if if people can can get those resources, and especially when they're so great and they're so free at the moment, when everyone's kind of probably hurting for money, and and that's adding this whole other layer of stress, and as well as yeah, exactly. all the other stuff going on at the moment, it's a it's a it's a rough time for a lot of people. And I know that a lot of my friends have had a had a pretty rough few months. Mm. So I, I try and share that that stuff whenever, whenever I can and, and hopefully people see it. And uh, I just, I don't know, it's like people to, to talk to each other. It's, 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 um, I'd, I'd rather not have, I'd I'd rather not have what happened with Luke happen with any more of my friends. Gotcha. Um, yeah.
0: Good stuff, man. Well said, yeah. well said. I'll, um, I'll link, um, some of that stuff in the show notes of this episode. Yeah. So just
2: open up your phone people and click on the links and, um, yeah. And there's heaps of that stuff around. Like if, if people <laughs> yeah, there is. Like need want to know where more of that stuff is, just send me a, a message on Facebook or something. Like, Great. even if we haven't met, I'll, I can point you in the right direction and, and that kind of stuff oh, you're too.
0: Good. You're a good man. Um, earlier today, I, I said, um, I need you to choose one song. <laughs> and that and that song is to be a song that's had probably the greatest or biggest impact on you. Um, now I'll I've got the song queued up to play. Um, so I want you to introduce the song, and then um, we'll talk a little bit about how it's had the impact on you, and then we'll, you know we'll listen to the song a little bit, and we'll talk about it. And um, so if you can tell me what that
2: yeah what that song it's, is. Um song is called voodoo by the neville brothers
0: can you hear it So where did you hear this and uh, what, what's that impact?
2: So when I was at, um, when I first started uni, I um, there, there was this thing that I, do, I don't know if they do it anymore but it was in first year that would have first year camp um, which was like, I think like two months into first year of uni all the first year students would go to this place in Lennox Head and you'd stay there for four days and all you do all day is, um you'd you'd have different workshops you'd get put into groups and go and do different workshops so there'd be like a a workshop with a guy named greg sheehan who did a lot of the the odd time and and the number diamond stuff is a drummer but also so much more than that and then you would go to a a different workshop and and it'd be on something else um and then it but every night part of what you would do every day is put yourself in bands um to play songs that night to everyone, to all the other students and the other staff. Um, so the first night was all the lecturers got their different bands together and they'd all kind of get to get up and the first night was just all the all the lecturers playing with each other. Um, and I remember seeing there; I, I can still remember it so vividly. And the, um, the my bass lecturer, Greg Lyon. It was his his turn to to play a couple of songs that he liked or that that he wanted to play with his his particular band, which was called the Hip Operation. Um, That's <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. Um, and so the the first song they started playing was was this, and I just remember it kind of like it starts with the with the drums, I think. Mm, Probably percussion Dave Dave Sanders was playing drums or Scott Hills, Um, and it started. And then that bass line kicked in, and I was just like, "What the fuck is this music?" I was like, "I I was just like, what? Like, what am I? What am I hearing? What is this?" And I just sat there for the whole song, and then like the vote just started coming in, and it was like he was singing and then i think one of the other lecturers was on the on backup and i was just like this is the coolest shit i've ever heard it's just so swampy and funky and yeah it just it, it left a, a huge impact on me and so the next week i got into my one-on-one tutorial with with greg and he was kind of saying oh how'd you how'd you like the camp and and yeah, like it was, it was a good fun and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm like yeah, yeah, it was all good. Tell me about this. What was that song? <laughs> like, he's, he's like, what song? I was like the, the first one. And he's like, oh, and he just started playing the bass line. I'm like, that one. Tell me everything about that. Then he's wow. like, oh, that's the Neville Brothers. Um, and so he introduced me to the Neville Brothers and the Meters, um, and that just that blew the blew the doors wide open for me in terms of just that kind of funky music um he'd kind of i'd i'd kind of come in and he'd give me like each week or each each every other week or something like that he'd just give me a cd that he'd made and he was like i just i'd i'd bring you a copy of the cd and it would it'd just be like mixes of all this kind of stuff and some like like little feet um mm and like Parliament and stuff. And then he, he gave, actually gave me his CD copy of the Donny Hathaway live album. Oh, man. Um, and this was this was kind of when before it had been reprinted. So he was kind of like, don't right. dare fucking lose this. I, I haven't <laughs> had a chance to burn it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: But you need to go and listen to this album. And I remember yep. taking it to the library uh, and, and burning a copy and then just like listening to it and just going oh man this is it's like a lifetime of of learning <laughs>
0: yeah do you know do you know Simon Olsen yeah yeah um simon was my bass teacher for a little while
2: oh cool and,
0: and he he introduced me to um the donny donny hathaway live album yeah wow um it it was that and um and it was Lewis Johnson's playing on the Off the Wall album. Uh, oh, There's a song, and it, it, it starts off with slap, because I said, oh, can you teach me some slap bass? And he played me one of the tracks off, yeah. off the wall. Um,
2: it's, um, man, the bass playing on, on so many of those, those Michael Jackson albums is
0: it's great. As, as is the drumming. Yeah. Yeah, it's just all really, really good stuff. Um, yeah. you, mentioned the meet, you mentioned the meters before um, yeah. when I asked Jackie what his song was for the segment yeah. it was a meters song, yeah.
2: yeah, I could have guessed that
0: <laughs>
2: yeah 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 he's a huge huge meters fan um, yeah, I guess that's a the playing playing in Lockie's thing there's definitely space for for it to go down that path as well, like because mm. um, Lockie's all over all that kind of all that kind of funky keyboard stuff too mm. um so there's definitely times where we've just in the middle of a song, broken into a meter song, and just jammed out on that for a while. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. That music is that that like for a long time I I didn't really want to listen to anything else but that. Mm. Um, yeah, a, there was a, a compilation. It was on um, Soul Jazz Records. It was just called New Orleans Funk, and I think there's three there's three volumes of it. But the first one was a CD in the in the the library at uni. I remember borrowing that, and that had some killer stuff on it too, like Lee Dorsey and, and mm. stuff like that. I think all that stuff's on Spotify now as well. But like just all that that kind of music, and so that that Neville Brothers song was like the doorway for me to get into all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the gigs that I did when I first moved to Sydney were playing a lot of that that kind of music, like right, yeah, like we'd be we'd play at the Mac. Um, yep. Before, like, this is before they did the Renault and the bar used to stick right out to the front. So, yeah, like, some, there'd be some weeks like we'd be playing the three, three times a week and just like playing all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's so much fun.
0: That's the first time I saw Byron play was at the Mac.
2: Yeah, I believe that. We, yeah.
0: Yeah. And he was, he was just sitting, he had his – um. it was just a single 12, I think, and he was sitting on that and he had his head sitting sitting to the side of that and he had a little synth there. Oh, yeah. And he had his bass. And, like, it seemed like he just wasn't interested in being there, but I, it was one of the most phenomenal yeah. bottom end performances I've ever seen. It's just incredible. Oh, man,
2: he's yeah. a, a badass. He's such a beast. Yeah. He's such a yeah. He's one of my favourite bass players. Yeah, awesome. So creative, like the the way he plays. Um, like he, he'll play things in a in a way that I get. I guess like one of the things that I like so much is that the way he he would play something is probably really different to the way I might approach it. Um, mm. Or just like maybe the same thing coming from a different angle that I hadn't thought of. But I kind of hear it, and I'm just like, "Oh, fuck yeah, that's great!" Um, right. And then, obviously, like learning all the all his lines from that first Rayman Three album. Um, There's so much tasty, tasty stuff in there. Mm. Very cool. Yeah,
0: Joel yeah. Burton. Joel Burton. It's been an ap- absolute pleasure. Oh man, um, sitting pleasure. and chatting with you tonight. Like I said, I wish wish we were sitting in front of each other right here. Um, We'll have to do that another time over a beer, yeah. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. No, no worries, man. Um, look after yourself. Um, if I don't see it beforehand, good luck with the baby. Um, you're gonna enjoy that journey because it's a hell of a <laughs> journey, man. <laughs> it's 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 the best. Um well, thanks,
1: Bob.
0: No worries. And yeah, um, man. thanks yeah. for having
2: me. It's it's awesome to awesome to hang. And it, I, I love I love hearing the, the different interviews as well. It's been it's it's funny like there's guys that I've I've known since I've moved in town in moved to Sydney and then I mm. like listen to these, the these podcasts that you've done with them and you just kind of like, oh, man, I didn't know that I didn't, I didn't
0: know that. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> oh, I, I love it, man. Yeah, I love it. Thanks so much. Oh, no worries, and, um, bro. Keep it up. Sweet as, and uh, we'll catch up soon.
2: Yeah, cool, brother. Talk soon. All right. Later, bro.
1: There was nothing I could say to you That would let me through To the place I long to be Behind your walls Just you and me With nothing in between us My definition of freedom I think I scared you off the day we met, just hadn't happened yet, but you soon would and then you would surely let me go, for fear of hurting me so, much like all the ones before they wanted more than they should ever. time to kiss this flame